0: Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly that's Adam Swim Silly S-C-I-L-L-Y all donations greatly appreciated thank you for helping me to support calm and now on with monkey
1: tennis
4: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You, Knowing Me, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, the audience. I've got a hit on my hands. Monkey tennis? Is that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knight Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you a about? Lots of meaty chat. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate less tennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs. Lord Morgan. If you speak again. Basically hit you. And on that bombshell, Monkey Tennis. Thank goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that.
0: Hello and welcome for the final time this series to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. We've been weaving our way through Knowing Me, Knowing You, the radio series, and now we've come to the end with a final episode about knowing Knowing Me, Knowing You, and also our thoughts and your thoughts about the series as a whole. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Lisa, get me
3: a black coffee and a slim panatella. Nick Holder. quite frankly, I'd be happy with a picture of the family there.
0: And Tom Stab, let's lick this bitch. <laughs> so uh, yes, Knowing, Knowing Me, Knowing You was a sort of uh, a spoof documentary about the spoof chat show, effectively, wasn't it? Uh, Tom Dark, you've got a bit of insight about when this went out and how it all worked.
3: Yeah, this broadcast on the 3rd of July, 1993. So this was basically added on to the first repeats of Knowing, Me, Knowing You in oh. June, ninety-three. So... They aired the six episodes again with this on the end of that uh, run. I think the way the intro of the show is knowing, knowing me, knowing you, one week in the life of Pear Tree Productions. Mm. Which
0: really opens the door, I mean, I've mentioned this before, it really opens the door to the possibility of a sort of a Pear Tree series, which mm. I still think would be would fascinating watch. and brilliant and a great addition to Alan. I can't believe they've never thought to do something like that before. I didn't know this existed. Well, I mean,
3: until... they did do this. Well, sure, <laughs> yes, that. that's true, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I didn't know this existed before coming to do the research for this series. Did anyone else know that this was a thing? Um, i
3: ha- hang on, loads of people have been in touch saying have you guys seen this on on the socials over yeah, uh, yeah. like the last yeah, four years? Yeah, come on Tom. Everyone Yeah, been and in I touch. hadn't
1: and I hadn't seen it. I didn't know it existed. I hadn't I, seen I, it. They either. told us about it, but I didn't know it existed.
3: But do you mean before doing the podcast overall or before doing the research for this?
1: Well, doing the podcast overall, I guess, cuz I I I and I'd also never listened to it in the meantime when we were I, about it. By I listening. was so
5: out the loop. I genuinely thought it was a real documentary. So when I started listening to it, I was like, oh, uh, this is brilliant. Yeah. So I thought I was going to have to listen to a documentary of Steve going, oh, and then we'll do this. And then Patrick goes, oh, it's very oh, good. Oh, <laughs> um, Maybe was, you should be an impressionist. <laughs> <laughs> <do> you want <laughs> spitting image, Nick? When I actually heard what it was, I thought, this, guys, is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, Can I just uh, shock you? It's actually good. Yeah. So this is a fictitious documentary, and it's pitched uh, to
0: have taken place between episodes five and six of Knowing Me, Knowing You. So they've they've done the episode in Vegas, but they're yet to have uh, your man from Glossop die. Morgan Mm -hmm. die on the
3: show. Yeah. So it's all around uh, the episode four is it broadcast on radio four isn't it so it's the so duchess of strand sandra peaks episode isn't mm-hmm.
0: it yeah uh, yeah yeah uh so that it opens with producer mario santini who is armando Inuchi, which is nice because
5: you haven't seen him play anyone <laughs> well i also thought even before you get to that there's a, a line um admitting that the show isn't great and effectively <laughs> comparing it to a polytechnic which if we're being honest is probably a pejorative in its in its, mm, in yeah, its own yeah, right yeah. so already the standard is being set that it's it's At
1: best, fine. But there's a line that says, it's an award-winning chat show. (laughs) This is what I was going to say what is the award that it's won? <laughs> well,
3: in real life, it did win an award, but I don't actually know what that award was.
5: Not in the APU, though. No, yeah, I mean, no. he's,
3: he, he only gets up to being TV Quick's man at the moment, and that still is yet to happen in the future. <laughs> yeah, <we're laughs> yeah. on
5: TV, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so they say we're still suffering from the Vegas trip, which is obviously our <laughs> um, first clue it's, it's happened.
3: A bit of a budget problem.
0: Yeah, uh, so need to budget a bit more carefully for the rest of the series. That confused me a bit, because I thought this was between episodes five and six, meaning there's only one episode of the series left.
3: Well, I mean, I can get into this now, if you like. I've, I've kind of looking at looking at this, I, I think I've kind of figured out where this should actually fall. And essentially, for whatever reason, I don't think the Radio 4 broadcasts broadcast in the original order they were mm. planned to. So we talked about um, kind of at the beginning of this run that the episode order in the Every Ready Word script books seems to be wrong. But it actually makes a bit more sense when you look at this now. So in the book, uh, the episode order is and going with the episode numbers as per the Radio 4 broadcast is getting confusing. In the book, it's episode 1, 3, 5, 2, 4, and 6. So episode 1 and episode 6 are consistently the first and the last, which makes a lot of sense um, because you have Alan introducing himself to the audience and you have, obviously, the wrap-up with Tony Hayes at the end in episode 6. But yeah, they, this this documentary um he's been to Vegas but it's before Sandra Peak, so it has to be between uh which means at the very least it means
0: at so the very it doesn't it mean does that mean at the very least that there's two episodes left so when they say we've got to budget more carefully for the rest of the series that makes sense because there is more than one episode yeah. left in the series so at
3: the very least it, it could all be in order apart from the last three which would have to be five four six so basically I think the book order is correct that, that in essence, ah. it gets very confusing right. comparing all the different episode right. numbers, but and it's it makes more sense if you see it written down. But I think ru- every Ruddy Word has the original running order, so I I I'd no idea why it didn't air in that order. We've uh,
1: got a bit just to peek behind the curtain. We've got like a massive like wall chart where we've got arrows <laughs> like drawn to each other, like how this all worked. Conspiracy theories, like we've broken this down. We really have. Uh, even more interesting that uh, every Ruddy Word's actually got something right because
0: uh, <laughs> we learned throughout this series that it is littered with errors. Um, so there's a bit of chat about uh, Alan's car that he's. Gambled away in Vegas, and an implication that uh, Pear Tree has had to cover the cost of that. Um, they also claim that they had John Goodman as a guest, but of course he never appeared. Um, and you also find out that one of the producers is called Rosie. I wondered if there might have been a Rosie May crossover, but uh, possibly not. Maybe I'm stretching.
3: So, of course, this, this is the. Um, so obviously, this follows the the arc of a week. So this is the Monday eight thirty a.m. production meeting mm-hmm. that we that we're listening in on. First of all, so obviously, what they're talking about here is the guests that they think they have in the frame for the show as it is Monday, but things will change as this progresses. So yeah, at the moment, the lineup is looking like the Duchess of Stranra, John Goodman, and Bill Pickley, up, 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 down, 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 (laughs) jiggy, 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 round, round, round. Um, Now, I'm pretty sure Bill Pickley is a fictional creation for the purposes of this documentary. Um, So in the APU, he was the star of a comedy series from the 70s called Mad Boys. I think I've got that cover yeah. cover the main detail, yeah.
0: Um, I like the fact that this production meeting they are complaining I think that Alan's late. He arrives and then two minutes later he leaves to buy a penguin.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also he just pops in to basically say he's taken the liberty of hiring a car. Yeah. So when they're concerned about overspending yeah. he's oh, yeah. just he's and just taking all the he's money he's hired anyway.
0: montego and he wants it on expenses yeah, he's <laughs> slapped it
5: on expenses are, are the <laughs> words he chooses to use
3: uh we also learned quite quickly that um alan tends to change the introduction monologues on the day ignoring all the script writers hard work and we'll see that develop throughout the episode as well
1: tom uh as someone who has had a bit of involvement mm. in a chat show uh, or being involved in chat shows have you ever been in a chat show production meeting Oh no, that's very much the other side of what I, think. I understand that. But like, I just wondered if maybe you'd, you'd at some point in your career you might have been in one. If this is a- fairly accurate, you imagine that this is pretty accurate. Going uh, through budgets, going through the guests that week, all this have been booked like way, way, way in advance, and this is a bit of a, a liberties that they're taking.
3: No, I, th- I think it's kind of it's kind of possible that they're, they're coming to this saying, "Here's who we think we have confirmed for the show." But obviously, mm. things can change at the last minute, so yeah, I, I think as this develops, there are a few things later on that definitely chime with reality. I think as to how this would all play out.
0: They've also uh, had problems with Alan changing the scripts. He doesn't quite understand... the, the way that things are supposed to go and so he's been changing a lot of things himself um, on the day as
3: well that's crucial on The day, <laughs> like, yeah. it's
0: all last minute oh yeah which com- which kind of comes back later when he's been working through the night well he's mm. been getting someone to work <laughs> through the night to uh, write his monologues um, a little bit of information about Alan's pub order here he always orders a jumbo sausage and mash because he claims that it takes the edge off any issue takes <laughs> the seriousness out of it uh, just the presence of a large sausage on the table just makes everyone a bit more at ease
3: so at that point that it, this is now 1.30 p.m on monday so this is alan and pat are are in the pub having lunch so pat is basically alan's script writer so just before they're in the pub there's a little interview with pat um and he reveals he used to write for brian Connolly, richard digent's shane ritchie um as he he describes the new cutting-edge people in comedy um and i also enjoyed that he says working on scripts of alan is like wading through sludge (laughs) i've
5: got that do you think that this is again the writers having a bit of a dig maybe uh, the bigger writers of the day that they didn't see themselves in that kind of category. But these, these are the kind of the mainstream of, uh, of, of that year
3: yeah probably I mean I, I think we can all agree that Brian Connolly and Shane Ritchie were probably never considered to be cutting edge people in comedy <laughs> were they I used to love Brian Connolly same it's a puppet yeah, brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and, and that still makes sense Nick because it's, cu- it's definitely it's not cut- cutting edge so it very much <laughs> works for you I thought it was quite pioneering Chris
1: today to <laughs> um, I did also like the description of what working with Alan is like as, uh, as a friendly ward, like when they played football in World War 1 yeah <laughs> did anyone else have to look up Richard DiGents? I'd never heard of him again maybe that's an age thing
3: uh, I've heard, to be honest, I've heard the name and I didn't bother looking it up. He's just a presenter. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say,
0: I didn't love this documentary. I think it's almost it's on the it's on the edge of not being funny. And I think it I think it perhaps made more sense when it first went out because Alan was being fleshed out as a person behind the scenes for the first time. But given that we've seen so much of Alan over the years, I'm not totally sure what it adds. And I mean, it probably took more editing and more voices and more planning than an episode of the radio series. But I'm I'm just not convinced it delivers. I wonder if I'm the
5: only one that feels that way. I, I, mean, I thought it was better than all of the radio shows, personally. Really? I thought, Staggering. I thought it, I thought it was wow. brilliant. I, so think I think
0: also th- it presents Alan as being sort of, in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways, a bit more sensible, a bit more reasonable. It's almost better to see the radio episodes you, you without think? knowing his his mm. I'm not sure process. I agree with that.
3: I, I, I don't know, I mean, as the, again, I, I don't know if we're jumping ahead a little bit to kind of... I'm not be,
0: saying be, it makes him look reasonable, <laughs> I'm saying it, ma- I'm saying yeah, it yeah, makes yeah, him it look more reasonable yeah, than yeah, if yeah, you just that. saw the show. I get that.
5: I think that, again, not to jump too far ahead in terms of what the review is, but I might as well just jump to it. Uh, the the show, The radio series, I felt, was, again, things that I had essentially seen before. Um, that's not to say it isn't funny, but I felt that this was this was new in terms of a format, even though it follows more in the kind of footsteps of a I'm Alan Partridge or um, you know a, maybe even a Mid Morning Matters, uh, maybe less of a Mid Morning Matters. It felt like a new format that we hadn't seen before, so it kind of mm. felt like yeah. new Alan, and therefore I enjoyed it more.
1: I think at this point they're also kind of discovering the character themselves and experimenting themselves. So they're trying things out. I don't know. Obviously, we, we don't really have any intel of what the writers or Steve. Like how they hold this, like, do they think that this is good? Basically, I doubt it. Well, I, ever I, crosses I, their mind to I, be honest. I, I think it's. I mean, if you asked them, do yeah. you know? Do you think it was good? I don't know. We have no intel on what what they think about this. But, but I think
3: but... it speaks volumes that in terms of there's only one way that this was ever commercially available, yeah, which was that exactly book set. Yeah, it's yeah. like you know, it's not kind of seen as canon, as it were. It's like whenever people have got in touch just us over the years saying if you cover. KMKY Radio. Make sure you include this, and it's only because it exists on YouTube as a few things. It's like it's very hard to actually yep. get hold of it yep. in a in a legitimate fashion.
5: I would buy this if it was on Audible as part of that <laughs> series. I would buy it. I'll
3: just send you the MP3, mate.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. <laughs> but again, I think this like, to, to the point um, we made about how. Um, there's a little bit of crossover with this and I'm Alan Partridge, there are elements. It is documentary, mm. but there's also stuff that is kind of sketchy a little bit. There's little scenes and whatever. I think this would work better as visual rather than audio. I think, yeah. it, I think it would be better in that in that format. Should we rejoin the
3: script at the Tuesday 10 a.m. production meeting now? So at this point, the Pear Tree production staff are uh, discussing whether they should cover the Sandra Peak story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Mario is asking Pat to include it in the opening monologue... I'm um, suggesting that they should get her on the show instead of some of the guests that they're already looking at. One of the one of the characters says, "You've got to be careful. She's very litigious." Which uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. <laughs> and there was a line that really, really tickled me here. And it's, when you he hear, I think it's um, I think it's David Schneider's character just going, "It's down, down, down for Bill Pickley." That just really, really <laughs> makes me laugh because he's almost like doing a like a chart show rundown and using that kind of pre-inbuilt gag about up, 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 down, down, down.
5: And it it transpires that Bill has been dropped at the last minute before.
3: Yes. So that's uh, then Jason. So one of the researchers slash bookers who obviously becomes referenced quite a lot in the APU along with uh, Lisa, uh, the booking team. Um, So yeah, he phones Bill Pickley's agent saying, I'm afraid we've had to move in a different direction. Now that is one of the things that feels very realistic. It's that classic kind of vague reasoning with a show getting in touch why they don't want to commit to a booking. So Tom, when you were asking about does this kind of feel quite realistic that's exactly the sort of excuse you'd give like we're moving in a different direction doesn't actually mean anything it's basically mm. saying we've decided to go with something we think is better have mm.
1: you ever had to make that
3: call <laughs> Uh, well, no, that'd be somebody calling me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, oh, and I did pull out a line from I Partridge uh, talking about Jason and Lisa. Alan, uh, Alan writes, Unable to afford celebrity bookers, we've relied on two researchers, Lisa and Jason, to approach agents. And on the whole, they did a good job. <laughs> so it's always that thing like he, he's, he's laying it out that a lot of the blame uh, with what happens on the show can be uh, can be laid at Lisa and Jason because they're not actually proper bookers. They're just researchers. Mm. And they've gone, well, we're not going to, bother paying somebody to do this job properly just you can do it as well
0: he's also said on the whole they do a good job but he did sack Lisa <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. immediately after doubling everyone else's salary at Pear Tree
3: next up it's the production meeting it's 10am on Wednesday and I don't actually say I, don't, I wonder they're pretty much having daily production meetings I, I don't know how many meetings they'd have to keep discussing who's going to be on the show it's and moving, who's not it's but moving but,
5: yeah. fast it's moving in a different direction they need, <laughs> yeah, to, keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> need to keep on top of it so uh, Jason has gone to the comedy shop uh, in town and he's so I'm, him-
3: I'm assuming that's supposed to be the comedy store but they just couldn't yep. or wouldn't Use a real name yeah. yeah just the comedy shop yep.
5: this is in naughty norwich as well
3: remember <laughs> it's a was it an attitude it's a, more than <laughs> norwich is no, an no, attitude the, the, no the, it's the comedy shop is, is in london they say it's uh, near leicester square so okay. even more like the com- the real comedy store
5: well steve thompson um has been spotted by jason and uh, mm. alan is flattered because obviously he's done an impression of him so alan is kind of keen to get him on the show because obviously it helps kind of bolster his ego as a you know uh, someone of such a stature that people would want to impersonate mm. him um, although it does get to such a point where, uh, it's discussed that Alan, uh, sorry, that Steve could potentially dress up as Alan and then <laughs> yeah, host like the that. show to which Alan goes, no, 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 that, yeah. That's not going to happen. He's gone too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've gone too far.
3: And I think, uh, following this, we have, uh, a little segment with Alan and Pat are starting to write down some links, aren't they? Um, I think Alan is asking Pat to remove, uh, to take some gags out. Um, and he's also, <laughs> and then you have this quite, weird kind of monologue where alan talks about feeling like he wants to hit
5: people again this is the this is the violent thread kind of yes. that we see sort of running through this series uh, where alan says that you know that he does have a system um to control when he wants to hit someone so he might imagine that they're a saint or or, or a holy figure or someone who has given their life for someone who doesn't deserve to be hit so it could be a victim uh, a pauper or someone in a workhouse in the 18th century. It sounds odd, but that is how he controls his desire to stop hitting people. It's, it's, it,
3: yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it really is quite odd because it's quite divergent from what's going on in the script, but it is also quite nice because it's just giving a bit more depth to the character. Like you talk about this this violent streak that's having a bad temper and kind of, he has these kind of weird things he goes through in his imagination to justify his what he's thinking. It's all very strange, but it also works quite nice as a proper insight into this it kind of, insane com- character very yeah. complicated, complicated man. complicated man yeah um next
5: up it's john goodman and it's not good news <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the
3: friday morning production meeting another one um I, so yeah i mean we don't know if they had a thursday morning production meeting actually that doesn't seem to come up in this um but yeah what we find out here that john goodman's pulled out
1: john goodman's done a sue cook <laughs> very good yeah and the reason is that Alan has insisted that John Goodman stay in a holiday inn <laughs> yeah. and John Goodman's agent has insisted on Claridge's I did have a little look on Claridge's website the uh, The cheapest room that you can get on Claridge's currently for this weekend is £1,110 wow. per bargain. night and also you don't actually I, w- I haven't got the details here but I remember looking at it you don't actually get that much it's like free Wi-Fi and coffee and stuff like that you don't really get anything extra hold on extra. free wifi? yes please <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for £1,110 a night please
3: <laughs> yeah. I love the way this scene transpires because you have um, Armando Iannucci's character absolutely loses. like, Alan spoke to her. Alan never ever speaks to anyone's agent. That is so good. So Mario and Alan have a bit of a face-off here. We have uh, Armando Iannucci's character Mario saying, I thought we expressly agreed before this series started you would not speak to anyone's agent. So I think they know that Alan's a liability. Um, And (laughs) I think Alan, the the back and forth you have Alan saying to (laughs) who are you? Obviously, Mario says, I'm the producer, and Alan's saying, and I am Alan Partridge. So we know he's an absolute narcissistic shit back in the early incarnation, obviously. Um, Although it does uh, gradually back down and end with, uh, this segment ends with, I'm very sorry, I made a mistake. I'm only human. Again, a rare uh, instance of humility with Alan there. Yeah,
5: that's not going to be making much more of
3: an appearance. (laughs) Uh, No, um, well, I'm definitely not following the the subsequent phone call, which is Alan calling uh, Bill Pickley.
0: Oh, yeah, which escalates into such a fervour that uh, there's an admission in there that Alan wears a weave, (laughs) which I thought was uh,
1: interesting. I I think we know immediately as soon as he phones Bill that this is going to go badly. It's going to end in him hanging up or Bill hanging up.
3: So I assume it's kind of a a double-edged thing. He's making the call to try and apologise and also presumably rebook him because they now have a John Goodman-shaped hole in the show. Um, And obviously, yeah, it descends into uh, a a shouting match and Alan hanging up. It's a weave, it's a weave... I don't have to take this. <laughs> and then to alleviate his stress, he asked Lisa to get him a black coffee and a slim Panatella. I had to Google
1: Panatella. Same. Why didn't he just say cigar? Anyway, it's a brand. Matter. It's a brand. Is it a brand or is I, it just a type? Yeah, I, it's, not, it's not a brand. Is it not? No. Is it just I think a, it's just a type. It's like a cigarillo, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Okay. I just don't know why they didn't say cigar. Anyway, it doesn't really matter.
3: Maybe everyone was walking around talking about panatellas back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Has any,
1: anyone else here smoked a cigar? oh, oh yes. yeah we've, all, we've, all, oh, yeah. we've all done it mate yeah. oh, wow I wasn't expecting that no, there we go. <laughs> very proud Nick's um, got his own walk-in humour door <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was shocked
0: by what happens shortly after this uh, in that we hear Carol yes. uh, yeah yeah can't believe it. I mean, I guess this is before the days when they felt they could uh, get more mileage out of being quite cagey about having her appear or mm. be heard. So. Well,
3: I think this must. This is the only time that Carol is yep. heard in the APU. Um, and to be fair, it is mainly just the sound
0: of her falling over <laughs>
3: and crying. <laughs> yeah. So for the, for the context, it's now midnight and they're writing at Alan's home. So I think this must be midnight Friday going into Saturday, perhaps. Yeah. So Alan's got a glass of port on the go. Pat has a brandy. And I quite like there are quite a few instances... Alan and Pat definitely like a drink. Because even yeah. on the Monday Monday lunchtime, yeah, they're, the they're like mm-hmm. cheersing a couple of pints and stuff.
0: You also get the first reference to his fan of samurai swords, yes. which cost him five grand. Although he says, quite frankly, I'd be happy with the picture of the family there, which I think is quite a poignant message uh, and a theme of Alan's that basically he buys things for himself to try and cover for the, the paper, the cracks in his
3: family <laughs> life. Yeah, but it's also the thing... I, I I think he's only saying he'd be happy with the picture of the family there because Pat has branded them vulgar trappings so suddenly he's trying to like backpedal right. from, oh, okay. from the, yeah, the vulgarity that he's got surrounding yeah. him in his home he, he yeah.
5: lists off some of the vulgarities unnecessarily oh, so but he does list, list off some of the vulgarities um, So such as the rockery around the fireplace <laughs> but the one I did enjoy the most was the grotto for the video the idea that a video lives in a grotto <laughs> <laughs>
3: I thought the the noises we get from Carol, you, you could almost extrapolate that she's still a zombie as well at this
5: point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, Pat goes, uh, is she all right? And Alan just goes, Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm guessing I'm guessing the implication is supposed to be that she's that she's hammered, right?
1: I, I don't think so sure no, or, is I think just, or
3: is it just supposed to be like really muffled yeah Alan's music.
1: hammered yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god do you want another drink
3: <laughs> oh I, I love the like give yourself a break do you want a panacella I'm having one mate <laughs> basically he's constantly drinking and chain smoking cigars at this yeah. point in-
0: <laughs> I've got the I've got the mental image of basically Alan yeah just, just drinking and smoking and just leaning over Pat's shoulder who is doing all of the work uh, I mean, it, Alan gets yeah. to 2am and then effectively just leaves Pat to continue writing the script. Yeah, he's, the yeah, he's <laughs> off to bed. Yeah, he says, he's <laughs> off to
3: bed. He says to Pat, you just write whatever you want. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to hit the sack, mate. <laughs> then you hear lots of banging around and I think Alan and Carol are having some kind of argument. But all you can really make out is Alan going, why, why? Carol's crying and Alan going, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Carol Actually, very much in tears at this point. Yeah, yep. it's... It can't, it's a bit sad though didn't you think because mm. definitely you know marriage relationship problems yeah yeah,
0: right. and there wasn't a huge amount of humour in the moments where you can actually hear them arguing either. no you a know, bit, exactly a bit distressing
3: yeah
2: hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass.
3: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: So uh, we're now up to show day. Uh, Pat having written Mm. a script through the night. Alan bumps into (laughs) uh, the security man at Paris Studios, George, who I thought was clearly an early Simon prototype. Yeah, Uh, yeah, good point. Not least because we know from our special live episode with Simon Greenall that there were uh, original ideas of Simon being a Cockney uh mm-hmm. rather than a geordie mm-hmm. and that's very that's very much the george role here
1: mm, yeah D- G- uh, geordie cockney and also they discussed him being from yorkshire as well yeah yeah so uh, so alan says to george
0: not let any uh, not any nazis past, have you um <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah because he does say i could tell you a story about that which kind of plays into the idea of a, a michael who has kind of mm. you know stories oh, of, yeah, 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 yeah he's good. seen some shit yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Hadn't really, hadn't really clocked yeah. that it could be a prototype. Yeah, <laughs>
5: but Alan does say another time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he he's excited about John Goodman and Bill Pickley being on the show. So <laughs> he's going to be disappointed.
5: Yeah. Uh, George hasn't heard of Sandra Peaks, Um to which point Alan says, "You you really should read read the papers, George. <laughs> Do try and keep which, up."
3: And actually, that that would almost work as the Michael prototype yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I, I still love the thing Simon Greenwood told us about that uh, scene that never made it to air about him never having watched the news at ten. I've yeah. never seen it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> you haven't you seen t- then.
0: <laughs> There's a nice tidbit here as well that Alan's encouraged to use the phrase "and on that bombshell" by sh- staff behind the scenes. I would have thought oh, that would yeah. be entirely his own invention, but
3: That's no, point.
1: no, he's egged on.
3: And we learn that uh, Alan's dropped Pat's entire monologue from the show, even <laughs> though Pat was up till 6am writing
1: it. Also, would you, I mean, is it 2am when Alan goes to bed? Four hours. Four more hours to write the monologue. To <laughs> so, write like, you know. a bit
3: of script that would probably last a minute at yeah.
0: most. He was probably fired up by Alan's parting uh, parting thing of saying, oh, you can write whatever you want. He said, yeah. like, finally, I'm going to write my masterpiece and get it on television." And he's <laughs> chugging
3: away on like... port and panatellas whilst he does it. Uh,
0: it also turns out the bad news is that the uh, production will not cover Alan's 20 grand check to the rent boys. Uh, but they are paying for the cars he gambled away in Vegas so it's a partial
1: win so the point I made in the episode that covered this section is that that it in the in the documentary, they say your check, but as we know from the show itself, the uh, Alan's quote is: "Producers are telling me that you can have sixteen thousand yeah. pounds." So he's mm. been told in his earpiece that's, that he can have sixteen thousand. So that, pounds. that's
3: the limit of like the show budget to basically get this scoop. So yeah.
1: all he needs to pay is four grand to top yeah. it up to twenty. But now uh, they're saying he has to pay the full twenty grand. So I'm on Alan's side here that this is massively unfair because they've told him he can have sixteen. But is it possible that they they had that
0: sixteen grand earmarked, but they've actually ended up paying for the cars he gambled away in Vegas? So that's the rent that <laughs> has been spent on those Maybe. cars.
3: Maybe. Um, there's, before we kind of wrap up, like there's a, there's all that kind of good post show discussion there. So you have there's a tiny segment where the Duchess arrives at the green room and she's quite nervous, and I, I don't think that really adds anything. That no, section, no. it's like again, it's a bit more behind the scenes but there aren't really any, like, gags to find out. The
0: last few minutes are basically just a flat narration of the Mm. contents Mm. of episode six, aren't they? It's almost like they kind of ran out of material. Yeah, but I I
3: mean, I I like the... When you can hear, uh, like, the Mario character kind of in in the control room during the show, and he's, like, saying, get her before she leaves the building. And then when when the rent boys come out you can hear him going good well done and suddenly he's really excited and engaged and kind of what's happening in the show I thought that was quite Uh, fun
1: yeah I really like that that's kind of um, the Larry Sanders show sort of thing Mm. where you see Mm. a bit in front and a bit behind as well
3: because it's almost like it flips from there like oh this is going terribly because like she's storming off this is going to be a disaster but because immediately the rent boys are out and they're happy to play ball with Mm. the expose so then uh, when, when they're when they're having this kind of post show analysis you've got them going great show great show Alan Partridge brings that brings down the government like they're actually elated with how it's all played out.
1: Yeah, so within the conceit of the show and the documentary, they're all really happy with mm. how it's gone. This is this show isn't a disaster. <laughs> Cuz you've got,
3: Alan, you know, on on the script of the actual radio show, you've got Alan like saying she's a broken woman. Yes, we have broken her. <laughs> and they're also celebrating like Sandra Peaks isn't going to sue. So, mm. yeah, it's kind of worked out really well for them, but by, by by that aspect.
0: I like there's a little running joke about the producer always being away as well. He's like, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not in on Monday. I'm off Tuesday and Wednesday. We're all leaving for a <laughs> yes. drink now. Yeah. Like,
3: yeah. yeah. And like, and actually, and he's away working on arguably better, more successful shows. Well, as 15 well. to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> With William G. Stewart. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I also like, there's a final quote that kind of sums <laughs> Alan up quite nicely. Alan's a man of the people, but I suppose not everybody's people.
3: <laughs> oh, I, I really like the bit when Mario says to him, go and open a few more sports centres. You'll get the money. Yeah. 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 And it kind of wraps up with another classic Alan line of self-affirmation. He says, "I'm Alan Partridge, Chatterman. Of that, there is no doubt." Kind of a precursor to Alan Carr, Chatty Man. Weirdly, indeed, a ending.
0: <laughs> There's a through line from one to the other. Yep.
3: Yes, yeah, so like that, that kind of summarises uh, this episode. And I think, kind of, like uh, we we've we've discussed as we've gone through. I think on my initial few listens, I wasn't that taken by it. I was kind of like thinking that the gags aren't that strong. I'm not really sure what it adds to it. But actually, the more I listen to it, it kind of like it reveals itself a bit. And picking up on some quite subtle characterizations, which led me to a bit of a large thought that essentially, I think kind of like Tom was saying... This is kind of like the missing link between knowing me, knowing you, and I'm Alan Partridge, because it's the first time you get the character in a documentary or mockumentary setting. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if when the making of this kind of inspired them to do the sitcom, which is that has that kind of documentary feel, kind of like laying that groundwork of going behind the scenes... Into Alan's daily life and the goldmine of comic opportunity that that represents.
0: Mm, yeah, it's the genesis, I suppose. Mm, I, mean, I think I've, so. I've got to say, I, I didn't, I didn't love it, and I felt that it was a bit. It was very radio four. I thought the voice acting was quite showy, and I didn't think that kind of the behind the scenes nature of it. Was novelty enough to make up for it being fair? Some of it fairly weak material, but I think that's probably because I'm judging it quite harshly because it was it was relatively pioneering in 1992, and there's been a lot of yeah. better mockumentary behind the scenes kind of funny, you know, looking at shows from an alternate angle. That's a really good point. Since if you, then,
3: if you think about a first listen to this in 1993 it would have felt so different to a first listen to this in 2020 wouldn't
2: it yeah
0: absolutely Usually, yeah right. and uh, and i mean if it yeah as you say it's quite likely it was the genesis for things like I'm Alan Partridge so i can hardly fault it if that's what it led to <laughs> yeah Um, so yeah that's our thoughts on uh, know me knowing sorry knowing knowing me knowing you Um, (laughs) it's really annoying to say isn't it yeah Uh, we will get on to our thoughts about knowing me knowing you the radio series as a whole but first we wanted to
1: hear from you the humble listener starting with a message that I believe my colleague Tom Stab has hello Uh, yes so we have had uh, some uh, tweets and emails from people and we're just going to go through those uh, starting with Tom Burbage who got in touch with us on Twitter uh, saying guy at work knowing we had similar taste lent me the the audio tapes of the series, and I was hooked. My intro to the part reverse. Haven't heard them in ages, but I have a recollection of a piece he does with a couple having therapy that had me in stitches every time because of the way he's so dismissive and self-centred with the guests.
0: Stuart Carter got in touch on email to say, My best memory of listening to the radio series was my dad driving me from South East England to Scotland for a scout camping trip that I almost missed because I had the day before badly broken my nose playing football <laughs> and so missed the next morning train with the rest of the scout troop. That's Sounds
3: what, like um, something l- from I Partridge. Yeah, yes, A
0: lot of detail, yeah. A funny thing happened on the way to the scout camping <laughs> trip by Stuart Carter with Stuart carter we bought the kim kiwap radio series on cassette tape for our first stop at a motorway rest stop on the m1 and listened to it the whole car journey my nose hurt from laughing but i didn't care best line an interview from the show alan interviewing the child prodigy and using my favorite put down i alan partridge would like to push you simon fisher into a very deep disused canal i've also never forgotten the capital of kenya bloody nairobi and frankenstein was the genevan student and not the monster
3: we had a couple of tweets through as well. Edward Emerson wrote to us, by far the best partridge ever. So many quotes get used so much in our house, they don't even register as partridge quotes anymore. Hashtag wet boy. Hashtag are you winking at me? <laughs> hashtag it's a blouse. Hashtag I got bullets. Hashtag have you got any pubic hairs? Hashtag originality, quality and excellence. Tommy Taylor on Twitter said, back in dear, I had the double cassette and I thought it was real until AP hit the TV screens. It holds a special place in my heart. I have it downloaded with the bonus episode, which is what we've just been talking about. And to this day I love introducing new people to it and watching the reactions. Uh, we had another great tweet from Dave Datson who wrote best partridge by far from the very first interview of Lawrence Camley discussing their mutual admiration for Sherlock Holmes. You could see exactly who this character was ignorant out of his depth and completely lacking in self-awareness and i think Mm -hmm. that beautifully sums it up Mm -hmm.
5: and we've also had another message in from elliot Mayer, who wrote i'd never listened to the radio show until i discovered your guys podcasts it made me hungry for alan content i'd never seen before so i listened to the radio shows and watched mid-morning matters for the first time uh before the pod i wasn't keen on them but i've really come to love them cheers guys right
3: that's nice to know
1: yeah yeah, that's really good uh, and finally, in this section from uh, listener feedback, uh, we got an email from Matthew Fitzpatrick. Quite a long one, this one. Uh, As a young man, fifteen, I had fallen in love with Kim Kiwap TV show, and uh, that had just been broadcast in the autumn of 1994. On Christmas Day of that year, to my absolute delight, my parents had got me the CD collection of the radio version, which I hadn't heard of. An inspired gift. Like the TV show, I became obsessed with the Radio 4 series, playing it over and over, learning the lines and basically becoming fully immersed in the six shows. It was absolute gold. As with the TV show, I found that I would quote it in real life incessantly throughout my teens, usually just for my own amusement, but also when the context demanded it. This came to a head at a family gathering where I found myself talking to two older relatives who were discussing some comedy show they'd recently watched. As the awkward teenager, I was very much on the periphery of this conversation, but felt I needed to contribute in some way. As the two relatives were struggling to precisely describe the facet of a key character's role in the show, I decided to roll out an Alan quote to smooth the cogs of the chat. You could say that he offers comic vignettes woven into the general fabric and architecture of the show, I said. This was, of course, a stolen quote I'd taken from Alan's erudite guest, Britain's greatest living novelist, Lawrence Camley, who had used the line to explain the comic, comedic nature of his novels. Boom. Both relatives gave me a startled and quizzical look, but seemingly pretty impressed that I, a 16-year-old spotty teenager, had come out with such a well-articulated and pithy line to explain what they were talking about it. What a fraud I was. Fake it till you make it, eh? So I guess that's, you know, using Alan to... uh, 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 Alan quotes in real life, which I quite like, because I think that's (laughs) something we can all probably relate to. A rare occasion where
0: using a quote from Alan can actually make you look smarter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much to everyone who's uh, got in touch with their thoughts about uh, Know Me, Know You, the radio series. It's probably time to uh, chat a little bit about how we feel. Ooh,
1: it's the big one. Who wants to start?
5: I mean, I liked it.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Nick.
5: I think um, from my perspective, the just as an overall, uh, I guess, kind of uh, feedback, it was diff- It was interesting for me coming to it kind of cold because I hadn't seen it before. Mm. And I think seen it. that I hadn't heard <laughs> it before. I've never seen it. <laughs> I've never seen it. Um, but you do need to put yourself into the kind of, I guess, mindset or, or the context of this being so new and so original because it's very easy to judge it with kind of yes. 2020 perspective. Um, mm. And actually when you kind of, go back and think that this is actually one of the first outings i think that this is actually quite pioneering and groundbreaking because a lot of what you see in terms of alan's tropes his kind of comedic style his humor uh they were doing this for the first time and finding their feet and i think that that does um deserve kind of a lot of credit and respect for essentially laying the foundations for what became one of you know my kind of favorite comedy characters of all time Mm.
0: I like that this series felt uh, much more about the guests. I like that they were quite well developed. I like that sometimes you're encouraged to side with them, but sometimes against them. It's not just all at Alan's expense. Um, and because it came from a point where they'd been doing a lot more ensemble comedy, like The Day to Day and On the Hour, that that kind of spirit of camaraderie is still there. And you can kind of you can see the fun that they had in making this, even though you know a lot of it was repeated a lot and quite torturous in the improv stages when they were writing it. Um, I feel like No Me, No You TV still featured the guests heavily, but the visual aspect made it much more about Alan, his mm-hmm. name in mm-hmm. lights, his interactions with the band, mm. that sort of thing. So this, in this one, I think the guests were given a better backstory. Um, and I also quite like that it quite rigidly follows a formula, three mm. guests, about seven minutes a guest. Um, it makes it feel a bit more like, almost like a sketch show in some ways, that you've yeah. got kind of self-contained little vignettes that don't often bleed into one another.
3: You could almost like, make your, your own best of by just picking out your three favourite yeah. guests and putting them into one And show, it's yeah.
5: punchy, isn't it? it? It it moves at pace. It never mm. it never feels slow or laboured or any of the guests. And, you know, some are better than others. But I think because of the format, because of the seven minute rule, if you will, it doesn't really allow at any point for you to drag because it, it's moved on before you've even had kind of like any time for it to drag.
3: Mm. I mean, I, I really enjoy going back and doing this and i think i might have been the only one that had heard it all before we actually came to do it you
5: were definitely the
0: the advocate for yeah. no me no you radio mm. weren't
3: you? um and i was actually surprised going back and covering this the the character consistency across the output and the writing teams of the apu i wasn't expecting it to be so thorough so it's kind of pulling the threads of those small details through everything that alan's done since the early 90s you know they're, they're kind of the 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 wanting to be on telly, Stephen McComb having the short violent temper, things like nosebleeds, the love of Sherlock Holmes, the hatred of gypsies, just like, it's great that those things still exist in Alan's kind of character arc, like 25 or more years uh, later. And, you know, and also things like um, the statements of self-affirmation being a key trait, like, you know, that I'm Alan Partridge, I, Alan Partridge, I am Alan Partridge of that, there is no doubt. Like, they're so prominent across the output of Alan as well. And it's like, that beautifully double-layered thing where it's narcissistic because it's putting himself at the centre, but it's also his kind of defence mechanism. It's how he rallies against any moments of self-doubt or moments of calamity on the show. It just sends it all back to him. which So it makes perfect sense that then what followed was I'm Alan Partridge being the title for the sitcom because it, it, that, that recurring motif, I'm Alan Partridge, one of that there is no doubt. It's, it's really great to go back across all these shows and it's, it's all there.
1: Um, I'm fully prepared to take quite a few pelters on this on Twitter, but Mm -hmm. I would almost say that I kind of struggled with this series a little bit. I didn't find it as funny. I think it's with the possible exception of Alpha Papa, the least I've laughed at an Alan, um, sort of, uh, series or, or, or piece of output doing the notes ended up almost being a bit of a slog in the end for me. And I do have a theory for that. Um, so people who, have championed doing this series to us on our social say will you do this you should do this i'm not saying everyone but i would put i would be quite confident saying that they are of a slightly older demographic Mm -hmm. so the chances are that this series is their entry point for alan was their entry point for alan so they hold it in a lot more regard and they feel a lot more nostalgic towards it than someone like me who is you know not (laughs) not that young anymore but (laughs) younger than you know wasn't around when this was being broadcast first of all in 1992 because my entry point Alan was I'm Alan Partridge Mm. series two now when we've done those series we kind of agreed that series one was slightly better than series two but I hold series two in a lot higher regard than I think other people do because that was my entry point for Alan and the one that I've watched the most and discussed at the time with my friends in school when we were about 17 so that's the one that I have the most regard for it's I, that I think thing isn't right, it that yeah. like
0: like everyone's favourite band was formed when they were a teenager basically yeah. everybody's yeah. favourite era of music is usually the one that they grew up during so it's yeah exactly
3: yeah. that yeah so that's the thing I think, I think you're right that the people that have been advocates for this where their go-to quotes will be from this radio show where it's like my go-to quotes would probably be I'm Alan Partridge series 1 and yours would be I'm Alan Partridge series 2 for example it's it's definitely that I think
1: yeah and I think that's that's fine like if you think that this is better than if this is your favourite Alan then obviously you know that's you're perfectly entitled to that it's not bad yeah yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's bad by any means but I'm just saying I struggled to kind of click with it a little bit I think because of that and what I I did get from this series I I probably found it more interesting than I did funny because it's the birth of the character really Mm, and kind mm. of is it's his own vehicle rather than just sporadic appearances on other shows so it's interesting to see what is still there from alan what has been removed and i think it's a testament to the character about that he kind of and the writing that he kind of comes out almost fully formed because there's a lot of stuff that has carried on so it's not there has been stuff that has been developed there's stuff that's been stripped away and stuff that's been embellished on but it is kind of he is a fully fully formed character when he comes out in this show and i think that's great and also one do you find that
3: Yeah, I, I I did. Yeah, be because
1: I think that 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 shows just how good they are. Like the people who mm. created this, and 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 Steve who acts it obviously. And I think the only the last point I will make is that you know where I obviously you know will cut them slack of of saying that I don't find this quite as funny. It's important, I guess, to remember that at the at this point, Coogan was twenty seven, Marba was twenty eight, and Inuchi was twenty nine, and they were just discovering the character and developing him as it went along. So, I'm probably not going to be as Um, uh, 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 as a fan of this because my Partridge was more developed even than this and this is pretty developed so my Partridge is I'm Alan Partridge series one and two but more series two And he's a bit more developed and there's more to him than in this series because you have the wider context of the other characters, what he's done up until that point and Mm. everything that happens in that series. Whereas you don't have that here. And you get a little bit from the documentary, but but not so much. But yeah, I think in sort of summary, I found it, yeah, like I said, more interesting than I did actually funny. Like it wasn't a bad experience, but I just didn't find it as funny. And I just think that's because it's not my Alan, but that's fine. Okay.
3: Large question to the group. If we had to pit the two against each other, what is better, Kim Kiwap Radio or Kim Kiwap TV?
1: Oh, TV all day. I think TV, but it's
0: an unfair fight because it's been informed <laughs> by what did yeah, and didn't work right. on radio. I mean, yeah,
3: yeah I, I essentially, exa- I totally agree with what you just said. <laughs> Can and, I just shock you?
1: <laughs> and the other thing is, is that... Um, Watching the Knowing Me, Knowing You TV show, I'd watched clips of it. I hadn't really watched very much of it until it came to doing it for this podcast. Mm -hmm. I loved that process. I think that is possibly my third favourite Alan series, I think. Um, So, yeah, compared to this, I think, it, like Adam says, it's chalk and cheese. It's difficult to actually compare them. They've obviously, the radio show influenced the TV show, but they are still thematically similar, but in terms of, you know, the experience watching them or listening to them, they're very, very different.
3: And it's like we talked about, every gag is kind of embellished and made bigger with the TV show, which kind of makes sense, obviously, yeah. because you do have the visual medium as well as the audio to play with.
1: Absolutely.
5: They... Um, Go on. Oh, so I was just going to say, I probably actually would be a defender of the radio over the TV. Personally, okay. I just think that I like one, I like comedy as a um, uh, uh, an, an audio form over visual, and I think that it presents certain challenges to writers that i think that they kind of mm. you know lent into and were able to kind of deal with because you you know you might not always be straight to tv and you might be on radio and you have to consider the fact that listeners can't necessarily see everything and and how you kind of reflect that in the writing And i think that they did a very good job of you know traditionally a tv chat show just as a as a medium is generally a visual thing right there's not there's not loads of chat shows on the radio um but i think that this uh sort of neatly as a vehicle um worked um and reflected I think the fact that it was a a very clever piece of writing uh, and I certainly defend it as a uh, as something that I enjoyed probably more so than the TV show uh so any particular
0: highlights or lowlights favorite sketches guests or episodes um I'm happy to uh pitch in for episode three which I think is my highlight Michelle lambert the two hostages I really like the dynamic and the I, I really like the, the sort of tragic idea that you can have spent two years in captivity and still be the underdog even when you're on a chat show talking <laughs> about it afterwards uh, and uh, and the threat of uncle Dennis hanging over that episode as well I really enjoyed that.
3: Uh, I, I, for me i think it's got to be episode two and it's simon fisher is the absolute standout for me but actually further to tom's point i think that was probably the first episode i heard because you know i talked about in cds that the first cd is episode two and episode six so i think interestingly the episodes that i that i always enjoy the most and i find i laugh most at probably are the first two episodes that i heard so basically tom your theory is bang right uh, I would
5: personally be uh, an advocate for um, episode four, which is uh, the Sandra Peaks one, which I know is not necessarily everyone else's favourite, but I enjoyed what they did with that character. It tied in nicely um, with the knowing, knowing me, knowing you. Um, so I kind of uh, enjoyed that. Um, and that would be probably my favourite.
1: I think my favourite is the last episode, I think. Um, I re- I enjoy whenever Alan interacts with Tony Hares. Throughout the yeah, timeline, yeah. I always enjoy when they those two are together. Um Almost to a point where I actually, you know, they probably did do the right thing in terms of killing him off and him not being a a thread throughout the APU. And also that doesn't make narrative sense either. And then obviously the the Lord Morgan of Glossop uh, sort of ending. um, I I really enjoy that character. I really enjoy, you know, I've said it multiple times on the TV show, uh, on the uh, TV show of of Know Me, knowing You and the radio show. I'm a massive Patrick Marber fan of him as a comedic actor. And I think he's brilliant as Lord Morgan of Glossop.
3: I think the the Tony Hayes segment is probably my second favourite bit because I I love the bit with the callers. I love whenever you have Alan interacting with the general public because Mm. essentially they all hate him and it always goes really, really badly wrong. And he never really learns to
0: screen those calls either. (laughs) Why haven't they been cut off? Well, I suppose when you get to mid-morning matters, he knows that he should screen them, but he literally doesn't have enough callers to pick and choose, does he? Um, So I think that brings us to the end of our conclusions for Knowing Me, Knowing You Radio. If any of you have thoughts, please do get in touch. It's thepartridgepod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod we're at the partridge pod on twitter at monkey tennis pod on instagram and the monkey tennis hotline is 07923 600 017 Uh, on that bombshell that brings us more or less to the end of this series of monkey tennis but if you've enjoyed what you've heard and feel like shouting us a coffee to show us your appreciation we'd certainly love that Uh, it's ko fi.com monkey tennis and you can uh, drop us a coffee or if you're feeling generous buy a round of coffees so that producer jed gets to drink one Yay! as well. he's dangerously low on caffeine he's only had seven today he needs some reward for doing this <laughs> uh, so thanks very much to all of you that have listened participated subscribed and rated uh, us at monkey tennis uh, we really do appreciate it and we'll be back with more alan to come as we know there's plenty more new alan on the horizon as well so you can rest assured we'll be uh, reviewing that in due course uh, thanks so much and uh, from all of us at monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge
4: fan podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You, Knowing Me, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, the audience. I've Got a hit on my hands. Monkey tennis? Is that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knightsauce. So. Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you such a Lots of meaty chats. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate Les Dennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs. Lord Morgan. If you speak again. Physically hit you. And on that bombshell, monkey tennis thank goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that.